No, it's great to be in the carnage house. I love a bit of carnage. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, friends and family in Australia and around the world. My name is Jewel Cameron, I'm your host, and I'm bringing you another episode of the Carnage House podcast today. We have a special guest, Xin Yuan Quick from the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. We met her boss a few episodes ago, Emily Dye, so we're going to get the inside scoop of what Emily's actually like as a person, um, not what just what she's like for the camera. Um, but more importantly, Xin Yuan is a uh, policy researcher at the ATA. She's been published in a bunch of publications. We're going to talk about some of your views and your thoughts on the world, particularly regarding tax and economics, which yeah. is a great topic for young people like us. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, and then talk a bit more about you and your journey into kind of public commentary um, and things like that. But first of all, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Um, so firstly, I guess... The reason I actually heard about you, I think I mentioned this to you before on the phone, was that like yes. my mum was reading the Daily Telegraph and came across your article and uh, pressured me. I'd never heard of you before or anything. And uh, mum was like, Dougal, you have to interview this girl. I don't know if it was a push for diversity, but it was, you know, <laughs> point taken. Um, and so I liked your article. The article was called, I think, um, Australia Needs to Resist Clim uh, Biden's Climate Bullies. Um which impressed my mum and impressed me. I liked it a lot. Thank um, you. And so why don't you tell us about... Oh, oh I was going to give some context to this. I really want to... I'm going to let you talk in one second. <laughs> um, but the Biden administration at the, G, at the G7 yesterday, Big, Big Joe, um, one of the things they did was they had this resolution to start putting a levy on imports from countries that don't have a carbon tax to equalise it to equalise the prices out against countries that don't have a carbon tax. Now, your article was specifically warning against something like that becoming a policy. So how do, do you feel a bit vindicated now? Do you feel happy? Like, how, did, how did, does that make you feel? Hmm. Um, it reminds me of what my mom used to tell me when I was a kid. Um, you don't just stab someone and then offer them, I don't know, some money. Mm. It doesn't help. Mm. So th that's how I feel about the whole situation. Um, don't start something you can't control. That's mm. how I feel about the whole policy. And uh, I actually did want to do, uh, write a follow-up article on my carbon tax article. It was about the possibility of um, government handouts. But um, if we know history, we know that uh, government handouts are just... It's just a movement of cash in the economy and it's really inefficient it creates debt weight loss and it's just stupid mm. so why why do you think this uh, carbon tax policy or levy which involves carbon taxes is like particularly bad for an economy mm, i think uh, i look i look at it from a more free market perspective so if a product was really uh efficient really cheap, really worth the money, good value, uh, consumers will flock towards it. But if they don't, it, it's, just a uh, it's just a representation of the quality of the product itself. So um, when we find, I, I feel like when we, when uh, this is something I, I was talking about with my intern today, 
Uh, so you got an intern now. Yes. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, she's great. Uh, we're talking about um, governments forming uh, environmental agencies just to just to promote clean energy, clean energy, mm. renewable energy. While you probably don't have to do that if renewable energy was really um, useful to everyone. So uh, driving this back to the question, we can see that. Uh <laughs> Sorry, give me a moment. Hey, yeah. That's okay. So you can see that you think that the if if there was a need to have like renewable energies or to remove carbon from like the products, then the consumers would be doing that without government intervention. Yes. Mm. Yes, and this just shows. Uh, yeah, uh, exactly. It just reminds me of uh, what I was thinking about before that. Um, this just tells us that a lot of people depend on cheap, re uh, cheap, reliable energy. Mm. Um, farmers, anyone in manufacturing, um, offices, the studio right now, we're all using cheap, reliable energy. Mm. It's the most. Um, Make sure you donate to Patreon. Cover these fucking energy costs. <laughs> <laughs> but even then, friends. you want to have like a, and if you, like you want to have, you want to allocate your resources carefully. Mm. And that's economics. That's we make uh, decisions based on logic every day. So taking all of that fact, all all those factors into account, we can see that a majority of um, the population make use of cheap energy, mm. dirty energy, which means. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Which yeah. means that people find it valuable. Yeah, yeah. Right, people like it. So yeah, brain fart. No, that's okay. Well, one of the things I'm actually happy about is that you uh, you've written at least you know five articles that I've I've kind of seen or I've kind of read. But am I am I help, is this your debut into interviews and and real live video? Are we break are we breaking? Uh, future policy star Xin Yuan into, yes. into the media world? You popped my yeah. uh, video interview cherry. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. Very happy about that. Um, okay. Well, that's interesting. And uh, related to the G7 and to Biden uh, and that resolution, I'm going to take a shot at some, someone who made me feel very sad today in the beta mail of the week section, whose name is Boris Johnson, who I'm going to say is a straight up sellout. And I'm going to, I'm going to hit him up in the beta mail section. You can find that on patreon.com if you want to watch that. Um, now the second article I wanted to talk with you about is about superannuation. And this yes. is where I feel like, uh, the Australian taxpayers Alliance really comes into their own is with, uh, <laughs> superannuation tax. Um, and uh, oh, also we have the cost of tax right there. That's the that's the um, ATA report on tax. Actually, quite interesting. Um, and you have the opinion that uh, if I can read this, that superannuation tax adversely affects one's abilities to have a sustainable retirement income. And one of the reasons used to justify that is that first of all, it's compulsory, and second of all, superannuation has all of these fees that you have to pay. Yep. So it's just compulsory fees that come out of your superannuation money that you that you have to save, which is just like free money for for, for, for super fund executives and, and companies mm -hmm. and investors and and whatever the case is. Do you can can you elaborate a bit on what on how you think that the superannuation scheme? which is designed to give people that sustainable income in retirement, doesn't actually do that. 
Um, I think we go back to the philosophy on um, everyone. Uh, so we assume that people can make rational decisions, right? But they don't. They don't. That's that's kind of uh, why the government feels like they have to baby us. They have to spoon feed us. They have to open an account for us and force us to save our money. But then we have to remember that not everyone are the same. We're not cookie cutter versions of each other, as I've said before in my article. Um, but based based on the reasoning that we are all not the same people, we are individuals with individual needs, special needs. Um, we can go back to the fact that maybe lower income earners they cannot afford to uh, release some of their income to a superannuation account, mm. and they probably don't want to because they have too many bills to pay for, and it kind of just cuts into their um, uh, ability to consume. And this makes it even more difficult for them to save up, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. And also, uh, I just feel like, uh, I don't know, it feels like theft to me. Mm. Because... <laughs> They're forcing you, they're forcing you, it's like someone forcing you to buy their products. And then afterwards they tell you, oh, we have maintenance fees. So, oh well, too bad, because you're buying my product now. That's how it feels like. Yeah, I see that as well. I don't like the ethics of the situation insofar as you're, you're forced uh, to do it. And it seems like a bit of a racket in my estimation between the superannuation funds and the government. Um, but. More broadly, I think it would be an interesting question just in terms of utility is like, how would people's retirement income be affected with or without superannuation? And I don't know the answer to that question. My intuition would be that people probably have more money saved up for their retirement with a superannuation scheme than without it. But I also don't think that like the government should force you to put money in there, uh, especially when um, you, know, you have a situation where the government already takes, let's say, I don't know what the lowest tax bracket is, but let's say up to 30, 40% of your income already on income tax, then they take more on consumption taxes. Like they outlined in Victoria, like an average worker is paying over 50% of their money in tax and you include savings taxes like superannuation tax. Then you take out the fees of that as well. And it's like over 50% of your income goes to the government. It's like at what stage do, what stage do we actually call this, uh, you know, a free market economy or what stage do we call this a centrally planned or socialist economy? And it's like, if your income over 50% of it goes to the government by force, like you didn't donate it, right? It's like, if you don't pay it, you get arrested. Like, at what point are we going to say that this is like a, you know, a genuinely free country? Because if you've got an eight-hour workday and you spend nine to one paying the government mm. and you spend one to five giving paying yourself so you can spend money on your mortgage and your house, your mortgage and your house, or you can potentially spend them both <laughs> on that same thing at the same time, or, you know, going on a holiday, school fees, take your kids to the movies, you know, whatever the case may be, um, then it's... It, you know, it's like it's hard to say that we are really living in, uh, uh, you know, a free country when it's over fifty percent. Like, how much, how much force or how much slavery are we really going to allow to go on here? Exactly. It, this really this brings me to the topic of um, capitalism. Many people have um, a problem with capitalism these days. Um, they use Amer uh, the U.S. as a prime example. 
But I think many people forget that the U.S. started out as a capitalistic um, nation. It is no longer capitalistic because of its welfare programs. So whatever repercussions we we see in the news or Amer- the U.S. the the, uh, the Americans see in their day to day lives, it's not a representation. It's not a reflection of the consequences of capitalism. So your life mm. is hard. Well, maybe you gotta reassess the whole situation first. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely think there's a strong argument that freer market capitalism lifts the poorest people up. I think that's quite a strong argument. But mm. there's also a sense in which it's, I do appreciate um, kind of the idea of having some type of safety net for people who really do get into trouble. I mean, I've, it's just like a nice warm feeling. Um, and I admit that my, uh, I had this discussion the other night with like a real libertarian. He starts asking mm. me all these, you know, he starts asking me these questions about uh, my libertarian libertarian quote-unquote philosophy and I said look my philosophical views are not consistent um, but generally I, I, w- I would I would very much um, agree and I'll, I'll ask you more about how you got into that um, kind of ideology and mindset in mm-hmm. in in a little bit after we do our alpha male of the week section but the last question I wanted to ask you is about um, your final article, which is that governments should stop enabling universities' lavish spending habits. And you were talking to me just before the show started about how when budget cuts forced the university to choose yep. between cancelling advanced econometrics or gender studies, mm-hmm. they initially chose uh, to cut gender studies, but there was like this uproar um, of... Uh, Fiona's type of friends who you'd see around Newtown probably <laughs> at like a Wednesday night at 2pm in all the wrong parts of town and uh, with eyeballs going in different directions. Um, sorry, that's our producer. Our producer. Um, probably those two. Anyway, anyway, that's a bit mean. But anyway, you know, people who are trying to develop themselves by studying, you know, gender studies, whatever, they... they um, they protested and so eventually they cut advanced econometrics, which is what you were supposed to take mm-hmm. and... Why don't, can you give us a, a bit more of uh, what you think about universities, lavish spending habits, and then broadly, the, how does that link to kind of the ideologies within, within those universities? Mm. Sorry, let me just take a moment. I'm still pissed off. <laughs> uh, well, when I was doing my research for this article, I came across a lot of like really, really weird university expenditure. One of those, I think I included in my article, was um, one of this pe- uh, neo-pagan ritual. Yeah, neo-pagan ritual, something like that, yeah. Yeah, that was really weird. Mm. I have no words for that. Um, secondly, we also found that um, these academics, they were doing, they were researchers, they are researchers, and they were, they were using... Um, the sorry, not government budget, the school budget to fund um, research studies on on conservatism. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, you said it was like conservative extremism. Yes, two pages on that, and that's people like uh, people like us, <laughs> people <laughs> like uh, me. We crikey wrote an article saying I was like a uh, alt right or right wing extremist. It's like I'm just here to oh, hang yeah, out. Oh yeah, I read who that. In, like, <laughs> Small government. Um, <laughs> chill out, man. Um, but but yeah. So they they found money for that. Um, yes. And and you think that 
universities need need to fix up some of their bad behaviour. Is that what you think? See, I'm Singaporean, and mm. I, my parents are pretty strict. It's like yeah, a they're typical on a tight ship over there. Yeah, <laughs> why do you think our economy is booming? Um, it's a good point. <laughs> um, this is my gripe with like, uh, no offense to Aussies. It's what so I've seen in a, in like Australian culture. Well, not all Australians. Some. Sorry, we we you're allowed to make generalizations on this podcast. Awesome, I love <laughs> it here. Just you, you paste your round eyes. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like a. Okay, mm, so what if I don't work? Even if I don't work, my daddy is still gonna give me my allowance. It's that kind of mentality. Whereas, um, the growing best is up when that comes with the socialist ideology. That's the best combination. But anyway, yes. you continue. Yes. Well, I, I don't, I don't waste my money, mainly because mm, my parents are not going to. Uh, uh, bank transfer me more money if I run out for if I if I run out of uh, my allowance for the year and I will l have to learn to survive on my own um, I have to work hard I have to get a job I have to support myself and that's really how you develop a character how you develop your own values so if you can it can be applied to individuals it can be in uh, it can be applied to um, a nation. Mm. And the way I see it, the government is like a sugar daddy, mm -hmm. um, you know? Or a sugar mummy, you know, we sugar don't discriminate here. That's true, that's true. Oh wait, no, sorry, I don't see gender. <laughs> um, <laughs> the government is like a sugar daddy mummy and mm -hmm. they're just uh, transferring, I don't know, millions of dollars to their sugar babies. Mm. Is that ageism? Uh, it it could be, but you know we we can be we're allowed to be a little bit ageist. Awesome. Is, um, <laughs> now I do want to I do want to come back and talk about how you like your your how you came from Singapore to Australia, how you found Australia, the politics, how you got into it, studying economics, all that type of stuff. But first, a great segment that we like to do is penthouse alpha male of the week. Now, if you've had uh, if there's an alpha male in the media somewhere. Uh, or someone's done something good, someone that's uplifted people, someone that's taught people, let's say, self-responsibility, someone who's living their life on their own terms, someone who doesn't abide by social mores. Uh, anyone who you think has done a great job, could be an institution because gender doesn't exist, so your alpha male can be anyone, can be a woman, can be, uh, can be a computer program, can be whatever you like. And what we do for the winner who does the best comment or submits the best person in the comments below. That's how you win, is you comment them. Uh, we will mail you a free penthouse magazine. That's the latest edition, that's the autumn edition. It's got two girls kissing on the cover with some autumn leaves. Um, it's got some nice color profiles, wouldn't you say, Fiona? Um, and, uh, and basically, the, last, the only issue is, right, is that our last interview with Evelyn Ray has gone up literally at the seven o'clock tonight. So I can't announce the winner of last week's so next week, we're going to do a double announcement. It's going to be the winner from our interview with Evelyn and the winner from our interview with Xin Yuan. So you've got a double chance to win in the next week. Make sure you comment your favourite alpha male. Comment on both videos to get a double chance. It's like the lotto. It's literally not that hard to win. 
Um, so, because there's not that many comments, so you get a free... It's worth, like, 15 bucks off the shelf, plus mailing costs, bro. It's, like, 25 bucks for us to send it. Just just, just do it. It, it helps for the channel. The last the last guy who got it, he was... Uh, he, he, he lives in Taiwan, so I've got to, I got to cop those mailing costs. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we will send it. Um, comment, who's the best alpha male of the week? I love hearing them. It's like good juju, good energy. Um, and, and that's all i got to say there. Thanks to Penthouse. You can go and subscribe to their actual magazine link in the description. It's a mouthful, isn't it, Shin Yuan? It's hard to, it's hard to all say. That's what she said. Oh, my Lord. So, <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I like, I like, I can roll with this. Um, See, it's going to get me off topic. I mean, that type of... Look, we might have to put that blooper from Evelyn Ray, that sexual-related blooper on Patreon. <laughs> that might be the only place it can go. Um, okay. But, uh, yeah, we had we had one last week, right? Just, I can't repeat it how bad it was, but it was very funny. Um, but you know what? Sexual innuendo is uh, very much at home on this channel, um, much to the dismay of my grandmother and Christian family members. Um, all right, so back to... Uh, Back to the uh, the meat and potatoes of uh, of this discussion. I've said uh, segment two is personal development. That's what I wrote down on this uh, on this uh, document. Yes. So your personal development. So you came from Singapore to Australia mm -hmm. at uh, what age? I was seventeen. Uh, I had never planned to come here because in Singapore it's like it's an accident. <laughs> Yeah, mm -hmm. I was just strolling and one day I just found myself in Sydney. Mm -hmm. uh, no, uh, I didn't do that well for my O-level examination in Singapore. And I was quite down in the dumps. I, I feel like, okay, I'm channeling really narcissistic vibes right now. It's okay. But it's okay because I'm a narcissist and it's acceptable. Uh, well... I didn't get accepted into the best schools in Singapore, and I felt like I was more than that. I was accepted into a course in a polytechnic that I didn't like. Um, so I came here. <laughs> mm. But um, on the first reason is that I didn't do that well for my O-levels. The second reason was that like I felt like I was, I'm the baby of the house. And I just want to go, uh, come out here, and suffer. Is that masochistic, sadistic? Yeah, you want to go out and be challenged for a bit. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I had that same thing where I wasn't the baby of the house; I was really the man of the house. Um, but I was, uh, I had to uh, go to China for a bit just to just to get out and have fun. So I spent two years straight after high school, uh, high school over there. Hey, that's where people think. That's where people think I'm from. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Yeah, see, there's uh, uneducated uh, plebs who can't tell the difference. you got to learn what a Singaporean looks like, what a Jap looks like, what a Korean looks like, all different types. Like, Fiona was watching TV the other night. I just looked at it on TV. I said, they're Japs. They're Japs. <laughs> um, that, hopefully that doesn't get us cancelled. Um, but, yeah, so you, were, you, you came to Sydney to get challenged, and um, how, did, how did that go for you? Oh, boy. Um... I I just I was really depressed. I was really depressed for the first two years. I remember because I was living with my friend and her family and they were really nice to me but um, it didn't change the fact that I still miss my mom. Uh, I didn't get to say like I didn't get to properly say bye to her before she flew back to Singapore. 
um, I remember after my first year in Sydney, I, I, I was at, I, I arrived at a Singapore airport, Changi airport, and I saw my mom and I just erupted into tears and I just couldn't stand. I had to hug my mom for like the longest. Uh, I know cute. I'm a baby, but there was, there was, that was so, I, w- I was so depressed. Um, and despite my guardian's hospitality, I felt like I was alone and I had to carve something out for myself. Um, and in the second year, I, uh, my, my guardian uh, politely asked me to um, fuck off. Should I, have, should I not have said that? You, you can just bleep it. No, I, I fully understand it. It just doesn't seem very polite. <laughs> uh, well, I was asked to fuck off. Uh, Were you being a nuisance in the house? Mm, I mean, come on, look at me, look at this face. How can I be a nuisance? Uh, maybe I was. <laughs> um, I sing a lot, so that might have been why. Mm. But yeah, afterwards, I too. yeah, <laughs> it was really bad because afterwards I had to move back and forth to, uh, between places, and uh, in my, I, I wasn't, I, I wasn't, I wasn't settled all the time. And in my last year of uh, high school here, I was I was preparing for my HSC. Um, I got into like a really toxic relationship, and mm. the guy tortured the fuck out of me. Damn. So, yes. So that was my high school experience, and then um, in un- in the first year of uni, uh, I broke up with that guy, and then he threatened to kill himself. Oh, one of those types, one of those types. Yep, yep, yep. And that's tough. That's a tough situation. Yeah, and uh, afterwards, well, I kind of just lost motivation. I, I'm do. I uh, I just finished my last exam for Bachelor of Economics. At that time, I was just depressed. I'm just depressed the whole time. I'm a really I'm a really depressed person. In case you can't tell. Uh, <laughs> How's that going for you? Really depressing. Mm. Feeling better nah. these days? Let me check with my therapist. <laughs> nah, uh, but it was it was a tumultuous uh, experience for me. I was never settled. I was never stable. I was never really happy. And um, this is actually one of my philosophies that it's not like we shouldn't aim to be happy. We should aim to be productive. That fuels you. Because when you're not being productive, it's like kind of a signal to your own brain that, you know what, you can just decay now, you know? So I don't feel like I'm depressed anymore because I realized that through my um, journey mm. to where I am now. My mm. God, so many cliches. It's like a big productive uh, ball of energy. I know. Mm. Very good. And so then you, um, so you studied a Bachelor of Economics and um, you you also did, is it just a Bachelor of Economics and Economet, did you do like three majors? I've seen that you did. Um, there's no majors in uh, Bachelor of Economics since it's a specialized degree itself. Mm. But uh, you can choose to focus uh, on particular aspects of economics. Mm. I chose um, econometrics because I'm a pretentious snob. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, no, it's actually pretty fun. Uh, and it's also because it earns more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, one of the uh, things I find interesting is that you study economics and you, you still came out, well, you came out very pro-free market in what I would guess at a Sydney University, Macquarie, right? Mm. Would teach like Keynesian economics. Yeah. Um, and for people who don't know, and I don't really know either, Keynesian economics is uh, basically about the government being able to influence the economy through spending and mm-hmm. like increase demand through government spending. But the problem is that creates a bunch of debts that people don't pay off and whatever. And that's like the most popular school of economic thought at taught at universities. Some people think it's popular because it's correct. Some, some people think it's popular because the governments have used it as an excuse yeah. to borrow more and spend more and just generally get more powerful. Mm. Um, but you have come out with a different view of the economy, more free market, which would be regarded as the Austrian school of, of economics. Yep. Um, how, did, how did you kind of weave your way through that uh, economics university content to come to your own conclusions? I think it's a, it's a mixture of a lot of things. Number one, my upbringing. Um, when I was young, my, my, my father was a huge fan of Lee Kuan Yew. He's the founding father of Singapore. And my father would make me read books from Lee Kuan Yew. Mm. And he's like, uh, he's a huge fan of Frederick Hayek. And he um, really endorses being pragmatic in policy making. So it's not about following a policy from like a template that you like. It's about doing right by the people, what works for the people. If it doesn't work, let's not do it. If it works, fine, let's do it. Mm. That's kind of the um, kind the philosophy I grew up with. And number two, um, <sighs> number two, I. I was never really an economics person in year one and year two. I just did my assignments. But uh, I think the thing about uni is that it's not meant to uh, instill in you values or skills, uh, values or theories you need for the outside world. It's more like they're training you to think. It's like epistemology, the art of thinking, the science of thinking. So uh, I think through assignments, they, 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 they give us in, in a uni, um, it kind of forces you to develop critical thinking skills, um, logically analyzing trends and data, and doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. endorse. Well, you know. how much in your economic study did you get of like social justice or political correctness? Like presumably you would have got a lot about inequality, like that is somehow like a good economic <laughs> indicator. Um, did you feel like you got a lot of, because this is one thing I was, list, I was listening to a Jordan Peterson podcast today where he interviewed, um, it's actually one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to and just reinvigorated my motivation for podcasting and like doing stuff like this is with this um, lady called Yon Me Park, just like a North Korean defector. Did you yes, see that? Yes, um, I have yet to watch it, but. It's actually really good. Yeah. I don't, I, it, 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 I was very close to crying several times. Um, a lot of times. It is so hard not to almost cry when Jordan Peterson cries. It is like, have you ever <laughs> watched, have you ever had seen Jordan cry? Yes. It's yes. anyway, anyway. Um, and, but what, uh, this North Korean defector is like, she got to America and she's like, um, she's like, you know, finally I get to have some freedom. This is awesome. Uh, you know, I'm, I broke out of the censorship and like the rigid structural thinking box that is present in North Korea. 
And then she gets into Columbia University and she's like the censorship and the, uh, you know, restriction on mm. speaking honestly by, you know, in reference to the like safe spaces and everyone having their pronouns and everyone being politically correct. And like she had a profound, for example, appreciation of uh, like classical novels from like the 20th and 19th and 18th century, which then her lecturers were like, actually, you can't appreciate them because, you know, they come from a colonial mindset or a slavery mindset. They're bigoted, blah, blah, blah. Um, and what she ended up coming to the conclusion was that the American universities in terms of their uh, facilitation of free speech are not much better at all than, than North Korea, which is a sad... Uh, condemnation of the humanities but to, to, to land this plane um, what she said was that back in South Korea where she was previously uh, where she went after North Korea she was like they train you and give you skills like they give you models to solve problems they give you equations they give you like really hard skills but in American universities they're more and Australian universities by extension as well are more focused on uh, developing like how you think and the problem is is like that's well and good if you potentially come from it from like an objective let's say enlightenment uh perspective um but they come at it from like a postmodernist, intersectional feminist social justice um critique and what that means is that they teach you how to think in that specific social justice way where they can teach you like 10 words like bigoted uh transphobic homophobic oppression they can just teach you 10 words that don't actually mean anything today um that any intelligent person can memorize in like 15 minutes mm. and pretend that that gives you like an informed worldview and anyway that just sounded like a <laughs> relevant uh side story to what you were explaining Definitely. you experienced <laughs> uh yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 pretty bad in Macquarie right now. It's even worse in Usit. I'm so glad I didn't go there. Yeah, I'm um, in Usit. Oh. Mm-hmm. Awkward. Um, I'm not standing up. For <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> well, um, it reminds me, like, what you said about a North Korean defector. Mm. Uh, it reminds me of a book I read when I was a kid. Um, it's called Mao's Last Answer. Mm. And basically, there's a dancer, and he recounts how in his childhood he remembers that. Yeah, he came uh, to Australia. Yeah, yeah, he's in Queensland. I actually had a, just another dumb side story. It's not <laughs> relevant. One of my good friends when I was in China was uh, his roommate. That guy's son. No, that guy's son. Yeah, it was anyway. Mal's last dancer was his son was living with my good buddy. Anyway, holy shit. <laughs> side story. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, but yeah, it reminds me of how he recounts his time uh, as a kid in China, and uh, Mal's army youth mm. army they would uh visit all the families in like rural areas and um, make them memorize uh yeah, mao's teachings mm. it's like mao's god um yeah that's what it reminds me of uh um i think our biggest mistake is letting marxism flood academia mm. so I really don't know what to say about this so other than the fact that... Oh, sorry, yeah, you sorry. finish up? Um, I just think a lot of people get affected by this because a lot of people... Because it, they play to our heartstrings. They play to our emotions. 
and what we liked and the reason why we cannot assume that people are rational in uh, economic models is that we're just complex beings so emotions are complex in itself and when someone um plays to uh where you're most sensitive it kind of just destroys a person's values it destroys a person's uh independence and that's how they creep up on university students which is why my mom's like oh your friends are university kids. They must be smart. And I'm like, Mom, have you listened to them? They're morons. What type of uh, influence does like Singaporean universities have? Because I feel like they would have a s- lesser toleration of uh, this type of this type of stuff <laughs> of like the post the postmodernist approach to humanities and even economics. Um, I'm really not sure with univers- uh, Singaporean university environments. But I agree with you that I don't. Th- I think they have a lower tolerance for social justice warriors, mm. <laughs> except for the sociology department. Mm. Um, here's a story. Uh, there was a social. It's not really a story, but there was a sociology professor from um, National University of Singapore, NUS, and he was uh, publishing. Um, articles against our government, against Lee Kuan Yew, calling him a dictator, um, criticizing our policies, our lack of welfare policies, I believe. Um, well, and I believe he was jailed. <laughs> really? I don't remember. Yeah, see, I, that, that's one thing I have heard is that Sing- Singapore is, is Singapore, spo- is Singapore a democracy? Yes. Like they have had the, uh, wasn't it they had, is it Lee Kuan Yew and then his son? Yeah, yeah, and then so is his hands still. It was, in power? It was Lee Kuan Yew, then Go Chok Tong, then um, Lee Hsien Long. I, he's the current prime minister. And so they all like father son, father son. No, Go Chok Tong is like um, different guy. Different guy. He's an economist, I believe. Okay, yeah. right. Can you get? I mean, can you get jailed in? So you can get jailed for like criticizing the government in Singapore. Um, it's not. It's not about criticizing the government. If it's uh, criticisms that make sense. There's some uh, logic behind it, science behind it, there's evidence behind it, then I don't think the government would do that. But if it's defamation, then that's a really serious offence. Well, I'm not a huge fan of Singapore's social policies, but I kind of understand where they come from. Yeah, well, see, that gets real dangerous for me. I mean, I see, because that's one thing I've seen is like in, uh, I know they have some good economic policies, but those they have some tight social policies in Singapore. Well, like, I think freedom of speech is really important. And, like, one of the beta males of the week, I'm going to give it to the New South Wales police for arresting someone in the media who definitely, uh, you know, was mean to a yeah. politician and yeah. unnecessarily mean, but I still don't think you should be allowed to arrest them. So Singapore, I don't think I can give you a pass on that one, despite the fact that I think they might be ideologically hmm. correct in opposition to social justice. Um, but... How did, um, so the last thing I want to ask you personally before we get to Beta Mail of the Week and yep. everyone's favourite segment is, um, so in economic, like at the G7, for example, like, uh, you know, you, we have this, the, there's this phrase that all the world leaders love to use, which is build back better, right? And basically what that means is after they have needlessly destroyed the economy, we're going to build it back in a better way, right? And who decides what's better? Well, it's exactly the people who knocked it down in the first place decide what's better. Um, And so uh, a lot of the things is like building back more equally, 
or building back greener, right? So these are specific economic policies, which in my opinion are absolutely disastrous. And at least at the uh, G7 were advocated by supposedly leaders of the conservative uh, small government parties um, in Boris Johnson and Scott Morrison. Um, but so how do you see the, um, uh, like, uh, where, where, you, where are you most worried about, like, kind of social justice or postmodernism uh, theory infiltrating, like, economic policy? Mm, just like a disclaimer, I'm not supportive of Singapore's social policies, you know? <laughs> yeah, I have to be. I'm a fan of the economy, though, um, my country's economy. Uh, mm. But back to the question. Uh... Sorry, could you repeat your question again? So where do you see the biggest problems yeah. in uh, in in kind of the study of economics right. or economic policy with regards to the infiltration right, right. of ideology? Right. Um, okay, I think this all stems from the wrong having the wrong philosophy. Um, many know economic policies, economics as like a very logical subject. It's a science. It's meant to be backed by evidence. Uh, but when you go out on the street and you, uh, you tell someone, oh, we shouldn't have the minimum wage because that's just, that's just disastrous for the rest of the nation. It's not going to solve things. It's not grappling things by the root of its, by, by its, by its, uh, the root of its problems. And then they will think, oh, I'm not being emotional when I include social justice warrior instincts into my policies because it's a right. It's, um, it's, it should be a standard. It should be uh, accepted in all forms of science. That comes from uh, the philosophy where uh, I, I think it's rooted, it's rooted in um, our tendency to have narcissistic uh, traits where we are the decider of what's right and what's wrong. And then that's that's going against the very principles of science, the very principles of logic. Uh, it's infiltrating, I feel like it's infiltrating economic policies because um, I feel like it's, infiltra it's infiltrating economic policies because, can I say that they're idiots? No, they're not, trust me. I. I find I'm not going to believe that Scott Morrison's team of economists or Dan Andrews' team of advisors are all low IQ idiots who can't make logical decisions. I believe there's like a. Um, I think they're appealing to people's emotions yes, rather than. Yes, it's pandering. And it's also uh, the fact that they don't actually want democracy, they don't actually want justice, they don't want um, fairness or equality. They just want to uh, manipulate the people's emotions and feelings to their advantage. As we can, as we can see in a lot, in a lot of um, the ATA's um, op-eds, we see that uh, many of our interns, our policy researchers, analysts, um, or Emily, uh, Emily's works, you can see that we, we conclude that it's usually because they want to tax us because they want to line their own pockets. That's how I think it is. So I refuse to believe that these people in power are idiots. I think they are um, mind controllers making puppets out of um, 
the everyday Australians who may not necessarily understand the underlying mechanisms of economics. Mm. Mm. Well, that is a uh, interesting and damning conclusion. And uh, Scott <laughs> Morrison, you got some. Uh, you got some. You're gonna need need to contact your. Uh, what do you call you? Crisis management. <laughs> crisis management, <laughs> baby. You got a crisis. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much, Xinyang Quake. That was uh, a very enjoyable discussion. Now, where can people, people like presumably if they want to see what you've done, they have to Google you and look on your ATA op-eds. But do you have any preferred social media or something that people follow you on? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Xinyang Quake. Okay, we'll yeah. link that in the description, so go check that out. Remember, you can donate to us on Patreon if you really like us. Um, that's where you can watch Beta Mail of the Week. Make sure you subscribe. I always forget to say that, but it's like the most important thing. You need to you need to push me. Um, check us out on Facebook, Instagram. We got some hot content, as always. Um, make sure to comment Alpha Mail of the Week, um, and I will see you for Beta Mail of the Week. Thanks very much.